0: Hi, I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder Podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED, and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people, all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. Liz, welcome. Uh, Perhaps you'd like to give us your full name, the name of your business and describe what your business does.
1: So my name's Liz Hamson, and I'm the editor-in-chief of BE News um, and the founder of um, the company called BE Content Solutions. So we launched a new website last December, um, and it's the only website, news website, that covers the whole of the built environment industry. Um, and we launched a new newsletter two months ago, roughly. So Our thinking was a lot of the media out there reflects where the industry was 20, 30 years ago. So this industry was split into silos. You had property, you had construction, uh, architecture, planning, etc. And the media reflected that. But I think over the last few years in particular, you've seen uh, those sectors the distinctions between them blur increasingly, and there's not really a media entity that reflects that broader church. So we wanted to, we spotted a gap in the market, and we wanted to provide something that is um, strong journalistically, um, and connects and informs that wider community. So our strapline is be informed, be connected with BE News.
0: That's, uh, That's great. And um, more broadly, uh, going back in time, what what got you into the line of work that you're in now, Liz? You know, what were the steps that you needed to take to to get to where you are now?
1: You mean journalism?
0: I think I guess you know, just from from the point of being a I suppose a, a teenager from formative years right the way through to now. How how did you end up as a, as editor in chief of uh, uh, of BE News and and BE, BE Content Solutions? Um, you know what, what what did the journey look like because uh, I think that's something that um, our listeners would be very interested in
1: lack of money got me into it and yet I went into an industry where you don't earn an awful lot which is journalism so I was going to become a lawyer but I couldn't afford to do the conversion course after university so I had to go and get a job and I ended up um, getting getting into in- teaching English as a foreign language and I, I did that for about six years in the end so I spent two years in Japan which was really informative I went there though purely to pay off my student debt. I couldn't afford to work in London and that was the truth of it at the time but then I came back and I thought I really need a career here this isn't a career and I looked for I thought I liked writing I'd studied English at university. Um, I would like to do something that involved writing. So I thought journalism, okay, that's it. And then I thought, where is the cheapest place in the UK to study journalism and the shortest course? So I found it. it, At the time, it was Napier University in Edinburgh. Three-month course. From memory, it was about 595 quid or something. So I went and did that, came back. my first journalism job which was i think it was the english language gazette which boasted that it went out to a hundred odd countries but it had about one reader in some of those countries each but it was a it was a good learning curve there because it was a small team and then i got my first job in property journalism and that was with property week so i stayed there for four and a half years um and then i left and went to the grocer uh, and I was there for 11 years. And then um, I returned to Property Week as editor in 2014. After about eight years, and as you know, um, Simon Creasy, my husband, also worked at Property Week. We both thought, you know, we've done our time here. Between us, we had done 24, 26 years at Property Week. And we had this idea and we've been talking about it a lot. And um, we made our New Year's resolution to uh, start a new business, and this broader business that I've talked about being BE News, and we wanted it to to be online primarily, not to rule out doing something print related later on, but at the moment it's online.
0: Um, I'm gonna ask you some questions about BE News in a moment, but I'm I'm absolutely fascinated uh, about you teaching TEFL in Japan for yeah. six years um, no it was two
1: years in Japan but two years, six years uh, okay two years in Japan
0: well t- that said so was it two solid years not yes. coming home that I mean, I, how, how, came... I mean how was that because I guess that was what more than 20 years ago so that would have been how uh, oh, very um, dare you well. yes it
1: was actually um it was in the mid-90s
0: uh, only, ju- only just only just 20 years ago though. of course
1: <laughs> it was in the mid-90s and um i just found it a, i thought it was a really interesting country I, I had read some literature i knew that the culture was going to be very different but it was so very different when i went there it you can easily get yourself lost have you seen the film lost in translation
0: i i have some some years ago yes uh it's but,
1: on i mean yeah. it it's it's quite the c- culturally it's really alien to most westerners but there's a peck there was a pecking order at the time and you know if you were um a man you were considered you know top of the tree And then keep sort of notching it. If you were white, you were a white foreigner. That was pretty prominent. But the more I was, I mean, so I'm a mixed race person. So I was, I blended in, I was quite anonymous and they didn't really know how to take me. But because I'd been to, they liked the fact that I had gone to Cambridge University, they found that very um, sort of interesting. Um, And I mean, I absolutely loved it there. I, I loved it there. People were so fascinating, so very different. Uh, the food's amazing. Um, and it's it's beautiful, actually. Um, so I wasn't in Tokyo. I was in Hiroshima and then uh, Fukuoka. Um, and I, I took the opportunity while I was there to go to South Korea as well, which is totally different from Japan um, culturally, but also very exciting.
0: Yeah. And I. I mean, from what I've seen of South Korea now, it's it's very modern, very technologically advanced. But I'm 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 guessing in the 90s it was still, I suppose, on its way up. Um, so probably a little bit less developed uh, by comparison to Japan would how Japan would have been at the time. Um, I, I it strikes me that the decision to go and be go and be in Japan was a very uh very brave decision. Um, and you know, and and clearly again, setting up a, a new business, uh, having you know having being in a position of relative comfort and security as you and as you and Simon would have been whilst at least you know in your relatively prominent positions within Property Week, to go into the brave new world of entrepreneur entrepreneurship, there's some parallels there. Would you say that that's something that, that's always been a feature of you that you've always been quite uh, that you've always been quite open to challenges and new experiences, um, or, or or would you say that they actually these these were just moments that were slightly out of character?
1: No, they're definitely not out of character. I've always liked a challenge, and um, I don't like people telling me uh, what I can't do, so or thinking I can't do something when I think I can do it. So, I mean, I guess that dates right back to when I was at school and was thinking about where to go to university. And like, you know, the person who advised, the teacher advised me to apply to Cambridge, did so because, simply because she thought it would increase my chances of getting in somewhere good, but not necessarily there, because she thought I was quite an oddball. so um i didn't realize that until afterwards but i ended up applying and got in and got the lowest offer to get to go to george to go to cambridge that anybody in our school had ever got so i didn't need to get straight a's which at that point you did need to get yeah from cambridge to go so that was great so i mean yes i challenged myself to go there i loved I love complexity and I like challenge. I like problem solving, so I don't like to think that I can't do things. I'll have a go at something.
0: Would Would you say that you're you're a non-conformist as well, or would that be going or would that be going too far?
1: Um, no, I think I am a non-conformist, and that's probably because of my background. So I'm so I'm a mixed race my mum's from trinidad and my dad's from uh, norfolk so <laughs> um <laughs> and i think that just gives you a slightly uh, an outsider's perspective on life which is no bad thing i just don't see things in quite the same way necessarily mm. as other people do but at school i remember it just finding it i had i went to a girls school it's girls grammar school state school but um it was hideous because you were surrounded by girls who were just talking about boys that were wearing Laura Ashley and it was they were very conformist whereas I wanted to I wore black all the time I tried to hang out with the, the lads from the boys school and I was into music um so completely different cultural interests if you like
0: yeah and uh but I think potentially that's that's worked well for you in in you know as as your life has progressed um before we before we touch go back into be news the last question was really just yeah. to talk about the the process of adaptation to life in in a in a place like japan how did you what steps did you need to take to adjust to the language because I, I my understanding is that in japan even in a place like tokyo uh the you you don't have you don't have a lot of people that speak English, and I, I imagine in in Hiroshima and the other cities that you were that you were based in, um, that would have been even less so. Uh, plus the other you know cultural differences. I, I understand the street numbering and street names are, are are also different. So trying to make find find your way around must have been quite a challenge too.
1: It's overwhelming at times, actually. So if you do go to Tokyo, there's one station which famously has more than 40 exits. And the the signage is very difficult but, uh, to follow. So invariably you find yourself doing the forty five minute circle and ending up where you started. Um, the thing to adapt, you need to be um, prepared to ask questions. You need to be very deferential and respectful of people because they their social sort of mores are different from ours. And um, you know, being loud and rude is not something you can get away with you've got to be respectful but um one of the amazing things about japanese people is that they are always trying to practice their english on you okay. so if they see you looking a bit lost and confused they will come up to you and say can i help you um and they 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 want to practice on you and it's great it's a really lovely experience actually um if you get in a taxi though you need your Directions written down in Japanese. Don't get in and try and explain verbally if you're if you don't speak it, um, because you can get yourself into a whole world of trouble doing <laughs> that. So you know you just learn to um, you, you sort of you you need to be curious about them and um, befriend people and not just hang around with other Westerners. A lot of people do do that when they work out there. They just, there's a little expat community and they religiously hang out with the other expats. But I tried to um, sort of integrate myself a little bit more in society insofar as I could. I didn't really learn the language though, which isn't great. The reason why was um, it's, the language is too deferential in my view as you you speak a slightly different language as a female um, than you do as a, a man so
0: okay i, I uh, kind of objected well, I, I, in uh, in keeping with your non-conformist nature is that uh, that that isn't that isn't coming as that much of a shock uh, oh, so no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but but i i was uh, i thought that it was interesting you you talked about curiosity because clearly uh, to be an effective journalist, that's an That's a prerequisite to to doing the role. It, do you think that that curiosity was developed whilst you're in Japan, or do you think that that was something that already was there and it, it just came naturally to you, and 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 you benefited from that natural curiosity in going out there?
1: I I already had it. I was really interested in how other people think. Um, Because I wanted to understand how and why they were different from me, because I seemed to think in one way, and I really realised quite early on that other people tended to think in a slightly different way. I wanted, I didn't want, I I I don't mind being an outsider, but I don't want to be sort of forever on the periphery. I want, I do want to engage with people. I am quite an empathetic person, and a lot of the books I like reading uh, sort of reflect that they are all
0: about understanding people better, I suppose. Well, we, we I've got a question about that, which we'll wish about books that you, that you've read and that have been influential on you, but I'll, I'll save that. I'll save that for later. Okay. Um, so you are now a, you now a, a amongst us in the ranks of entrepreneur and, um, what, what do you think your biggest challenge you've experienced so far as a business owner or a business leader? um up to now
1: it's there there are a few challenges one is um raising the funding for to realize our vision we had a great idea we knew we had a great idea but we're not people from money so it was convincing other people that they should back us um and getting the right people on board at the beginning um to be able to uh and then encourage them to take the risk actually of joining us before we'd got some of that money in place, which we've managed to do. Um, so selling the vision to the people we brought on board and the business that was a challenge. Um, and a chat And then and the next challenge was, uh, you know, raising raising money and identifying revenue streams. That's a big challenge because you know a great idea is a great idea. That's fine. We didn't want it to. Cost any money to for people to subscribe to. So if you're going to do that, you cannot simply rely on advertising and sponsorship revenue. It just isn't sufficient, not in the, on a digital um, in the digital world. So we identified what we call content solutions, <clears throat> which is a property we we described as client solutions. Um, but this is essentially bespoke, paid for content or events where we can um, bring people together from across the built environments and um, get somebody to sponsor that conversation that they have. So that's like the conversation you had with us at MIPIM during the entrepreneurs dinner, that sort of thing. So we wanted to make sure that we had sufficient and strong revenue streams identified and that we could tap into each of those. Um, The other big challenge is we knew we already had proof of concept, but when you're launching a new entity, nobody else really knows that. So we had to um, leave our egos at the door and start proving ourselves again uh, from scratch. And we've got to a point in our careers where we possibly shouldn't have to do that. But actually, if you're launching a brand new brand you do have to do that so you've got to um pretend you haven't got all that experience in in some ways and you know encourage people to um re- you know work out for themselves that you know what you're doing again and it's it's a bit odd when they know and you've got a proven track record at property week and they say oh but this is a new entity can you do this again please um so that we can just um, sense check that you do actually know what you're doing, but we do, and we've done that and we've already, um, you know, overcome that obstacle or challenge, if you like. And maybe the biggest challenge is if you've got um, something like a newsletter or a website and it's high quality, which we believe uh, B News is, and it's going to get better and better quality. It normally comes with a price tag. So people, it's a bit like looking in a shop window uh, and the clothes look really expensive and it's really beautifully merchandised. You don't go in because you think you can't afford it. Well, we've got a website that looks really professional, has lots and lots of content on it. And I guess there are going to be people who think, what's the catch? Of course, this is going to cost me money at some point, but it doesn't. It's it. Both the newsletter and the website are free to register to because we've identified these other revenue
0: streams. Yeah, I, actually, I can I can vouch for that as well because in the specialist finance industry, there are a number of um, a number of publications which are which provide free news uh, free news content, uh, even going to the point of doing a free circulation paper copy magazine, which is paid for by a combination of sponsorship advertising. And then, as you say, content and client solutions. So, for example, this particular publication, we would uh, Avermore Capital uh, Business I co-founded, we would organise a a dinner which would be hosted by, uh, which would be organised and hosted by the particular media company, and then we would, they, they would curate a guest list for us, for us to have a conversation, and then that conversation is then, you know, is then Printed and uh, either in the magazines or it, it is communicated otherwise on the social media platforms and and online. So I I can certainly vouch for the business model in the specific specific field that Avermore operates within, the specialist finance oh. space. Obviously, you're and but in your case, you're not. You can cater to us because we fall under the built environment, but you've got a much broader church of potential. Uh, potential clients that you can assist so but it, it's one thing uh, as, as you as you as you've alluded to it's one thing um, being able to do it to have the clear vision of it but you've got to bring people on board that with you for that on the journey um, and particularly when you're a new uh, you know you're a new entity I mean it's a bit like the old expression uh, in age you know when, in agency well no no one ever got fired for uh, no one ever got fired for appointing CBRE or JLL or whoever um when you're fighting the incumbents it takes time to establish yourself and for people to to come on the journey with you and it it, it feels like you are you're winning that battle but it's it, I would say it's a easy.
1: battle I and mean, we we have pitched ourselves as complementary to what the others the other titles out there because most of those are specialist titles and we aren't we're a yeah. generalist title so we think there's room for everybody but here's the other problem lots of people are signed up to lots and lots of newsletters. So even though we are free, have they got room for another one? It's convincing them, yes, they have. And, you know, getting them to look at the fuller website and realise there's lots there for them. And that um, is why we very carefully curate the newsletter. So it's not, um, there aren't too many stories on there. It's full news stories a comment piece and a feature typically Um, so we've choice edited it for people and hopefully people can manage that and we don't mind whether you know people are just clicking on one story there as long as there's something that is relevant and really relevant to them that's what matters and there's a big distinction between online and print. print with print if you've got you know, 80% of your content in the magazine, in a print magazine, is not relevant, then why would somebody read that magazine? If you've got online 80% that's not relevant, or even more, that doesn't matter, as long as they can go to the bit of the site that is relevant for them, and there's sufficient quality and volume of content um, for them to think, yeah, I do need this to be part of my sort of daily
0: consumption of news and views one of the areas where i found the specialist finance titles that i wouldn't say that you operate in a similar model to um is that a lot of the journalistic articles are are puff pieces and um you know because uh, understandably you don't bite the hand that feeds you um yeah what i've noticed for what I've noticed with being you so far is you you managed to maintain the sort of journalistic integrity that you would have had at Property Week and I'm sure all the other titles that you you and Simon and the rest of the team will have worked within. Um, was that was that a difficult decision and have you faced uh, have you faced um, pushback or challenge from any of the advertisers so far to I suppose, write content that's more favourable to the sponsors and advertisers.
1: No, and we wouldn't, we would be undermining the whole proposition if we started to uh, kowtow to people in that way. Um, You can manage people's expectations. So you explain to them that, you know, especially if you've got a bit of information that's negative, let's say, um, you get them to give you a response to that. You don't just uh, report. Getting that feedback from them Um, and look, there's a there's a place for advertorial and that's fine and promotional material. But there's also a place for proper journalism and that's what we aspire to. So a lot of the content that we run in the news section um, is so it's, it's press release, but we will make sure that we try and tell the whole story and not just get blindsided by um, a PR written piece of copy where they've just accentuated the positive and uh, ignored the, anything negative. And when you're doing company report stories, the trick that journalists use is they look at to, to the end where the bad news is buried and then they ask people about that that part of the story if you like and make sure in the interest of balance and objectivity you've got those elements included in the story so the context is otherwise you know it's you can't trust the information that you're being given.
0: Yeah I, I think one of the reasons why you will probably will find that your your click-through rates will be very strong is because when you're reporting news it's not going to be stuff it, because it's not the puff piece and um, certainly if some of the specialist finance titles uh, I can think of one or two in particular. The the extent of their journalism involves uh, taking a press release, hitting Control C, and then hitting Control V uh, in the uh, yeah, in in the in in the press in the article. And uh, there have been times when I've been tempted to put uh, to put something rather silly or outrageous in the in, in our press releases, just to see how far they actually would take the would, would take that particular approach. Um, so, yeah, but do you know have...
1: what though, that's that's a lot to do with um, you're talking about a website, are you?
0: Pre- predominantly website, yeah.
1: Okay, because that's part of this quick and dirty trend that you get um, online, and that's you know the the priority for a lot of titles is to get the story up really quickly, mm. and if there are a few mistakes, it doesn't matter. We don't take that view. Um, we'd like to be quick and, and a bit cleaner and um, try and make sure that we've, we're not necessarily going to be first with the story, but we want to make sure what we publish is accurate and objective and, ba- and balanced. Um, so we do, yeah, we are using press releases, but there's not a, a cut and paste um, job going on there. It's reworked, it's edited.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think that shines through and as a, you know, in my experience in business, if you take what I would call the long-term greedy approach, which it looks like you're doing, then what you're going to do is you're going to build up trust with uh, trust and respect with your readership. I mean, you you already have the benefit of that because of your your past experience and reputation within your time at Property Week and other titles. Um, but you know, as as we all know, trust is hard earned and easily lost. And so again, you've you've got to build that back up, I suppose, with your time at BE News, and um, as you build that reputation for integrity and quality journalism, then inevitably it means that if if you if someone does host an event which has got the BE News stamp on it, then it's going to it, it's clearly going to carry more weight and it's going to be more valuable as a consequence. Um, just speaking again about Challenges and threats. Um, mm. What What do you see the challenges or threats over the next eighteen months that that you think are probably uppermost in your mind?
1: I think we've got to make sure as we grow and we start putting more content on the site. Not to the temptation is to try and do a lot of it ourselves, and we've been guilty of that in the past. What we're trying to do at BE News is use expert journalists from across the built environment to supplement what we're writing about. And in areas that we're we're not expert, and there are lots of those, um, we want the experts to be, um, to, to use the experts. So we've just got to be careful that we don't spread ourselves too thinly because we're trying to cover this entire built environment industry. Um, and that we deliver on our promise to also be very granular and deep. And we do that by using not just expert journalists, um, but also just experts. And that's where one of my skills comes to the fore, which I'm a really good copy editor. Um, so I've spent most of my career uh, not just writing, but also cleaning up um, and editing other people's copy. So if I've got a non-journalist, but, who, but somebody who's an expert in their space and they supply, say, a comment piece, it would be typically, I'm able to sort of put a good headline on that, tighten things up for them, cut out any wooliness, And so we, you know, we get that expert voice and it's in a clean and accessible Format for readers, so that's another one of our strong suits. But it is, you know, our challenge is to make sure that we deploy our resources really effectively. We don't grow too fast and add lots and lots of people to the the team, um, and intelligently use this broader network of freelancers and industry experts to uh, supplement what we're doing.
0: Well, I think so far it seems to be working very well, and uh, hopefully hopefully you can sort of see through that that vision for the next uh next 18 months um what what sort of positive habits are you engaged in that support your lifestyle and well-being and, and enable you to um I suppose be the, the business person that you are uh
1: not enough um I do I actually I do body balance twice a week so it's a mixture of Tai Chi, Pilates and yoga, um, the idea that I would go to the gym a few years ago would have been laughable to most people. But I realised I wasn't really getting sufficient physical exercise and I wanted to do something that was mindful as well. So that's really, I love that. I only do it twice a week, but it, it's it's enough. I like to, this is very boring, but we live in Margate and we're right by Botany Bay. So most days um, I'll take a walk across the cliffs if I'm working from home, um, 45 minutes an hour. Um, and it's a really good way to literally clear your head um, and reset for the afternoon. So that's that's a nice experience. But otherwise, I'm not, I don't do enough. I should do more. There's no meditation, no. No diet, things.
0: Well, I, I'd, I'd say that your body balance is giving you a degree of uh, a, a degree of mindfulness. I look at the end of the day. It's not it's never a competition. and It's all about what works for you. And um, Guy Harrington, who I, I spoke to uh, on the last episode of the podcast, he 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 and you have something in common. He, you know, he his, his the, the the one thing you have in common is you both spend a lot of time walking or you try to walk every day and you know and he says that it gives him the clarity and clear headedness and it sounds like uh that that sounds like you're also uh benefiting from uh his is his is walking through hyde park so you'd question about the the quality of the air that he's consuming you are at least uh by the sea and um, so you you're getting probably a slightly better quality of air um but for sure i think that these are these are common traits um everyone is different i think all entrepreneurs are different in terms of the the habits and and strategies that they they put in place for their lifestyle um but for me you know you're a busy you know clearly a very busy person you've got a lot going on you know still in startup mode so yeah you you're the, the vast majority of your time is going to be uh Put towards making your business the best that it can be but it sounds like you're at least uh giving yourself some time to uh, towards um the non-work uh, side of your life and uh yeah i think that's that that's something that our listeners will appreciate because it, it goes to show that yeah we, we all need to have something that gives us balance we can't be all or nothing um so yeah thank you thank you for sharing that what um what would you say your superpower is you know what why do people want to work with you over all others I and mean, we've talked about some of your qualities but i'm i'm curious as to hear what what you think yours is
1: um i think it's that i am very focused and driven but i'm really empathetic with other people and i do bring them on the journey and i understand their priority priorities so You know, work's really important and I like people to work really, really hard, but I get them for most people. Their priorities are their family and I will do what I can to support that. And once they realise that um, I'm going to support them and that I accept their priorities, then it makes for a much happier workplace because they know they can take time out when, um, when they need to and it won't be questioned or frowned upon in any way, it will be encouraged in fact. Um, And they know that I support them and understand them and that I'm there if they need to talk to somebody. So that was something that for me, I really developed during the pandemic at Property Week when we were all separated and working remotely. And I had quite a lot of young people on the team and I really wanted to make sure uh, they were okay and some of them were living in pretty cramped accommodation in flat shares and things and the mental health challenges were significant and you know I'm sitting here in a four-bed detached house uh, by the seaside so uh, it was really important to me that I put myself in their shoes and Made sure that I understood exactly what they needed when they needed it, and there was a lot of communication going on. So I sort of linked them with other people uh, on the team and made sure we had a routine, really, of regularly checking in on each other, um, so that there was nobody who felt alone and um, and forgotten about, because. It was a difficult time in the pandemic. It's easy to forget how difficult three years on from from the height of it. I think, and also, I mean, another sort of um, superpower. If it's connected, really, but I'm a very good judge of character. So,
0: um, well, I think the two, I, I think the two it's it, it's it's helpful to have one. Uh, if you have the other, um, the thing that I I always want to wanted to, to ask especially when you're talking about your you know your engagement and use of empathy uh and, and i suppose trying to understand the, the wants and needs of your team do you feel that you know I, mean, I you sound like someone i would want to work for um do you feel that, that insp that i suppose what you give to your team inspires loyal, loyalty in return yeah
1: it's, i mean it's, it's it definitely does um And it's not the loyalty of the store that they will stick with you necessarily, because I don't want, if you love someone, you have to set them free.
0: Yes, yes, of course. So
1: um, it's more about they trust that I will do what I can to help and support them. So, you know, if people want to go and work on the nationals, I'm really thinking back to my property week days now, um, I will encourage and support them and help them. Um, I'm not going to stop people or try to keep them because I need them I want them to I, I I, you know people who want to be journalists it's a vocation you're not going to get paid very much I want to support them in that career journey basically so uh, yeah people are quite loyal and we stay in contact afterwards but it's not loyal and loyalty in the form of staying and working with me mm.
0: But but I suppose on the margins, if you need someone to if if you need someone to get get something ready for a print deadline or you need something so, something by by a certain deadline, you need someone to work a little bit longer or a bit later. Presumably that's, that's, something, that's, yes. that, that's something that you'll get you'll get from that. Um, do you ever? I mean, have you had many instances of people taking advantage of? I suppose your your understanding, if uh, for want of a better expression
1: many actually
0: that's interesting that's where maybe the judge of character kicks in Um,
1: yeah well this is the thing so I've appointed people that haven't really had a look in with other employers and because I've seen something in them and they may have had no for example journalistic experience and I've taken them on as a journalist but I've seen something in them or heard something um in the way they they've spoken that's made me think yeah it's worth taking a punt on this person and they do tend to reward that so if I back somebody it is I I back them for for good and they they know I'm there and I'm going to back them I'd never hang anybody out to dry if we make a mistake if they make a mistake it's we make a mistake it's uh, it's we know it's group accountability um and I think that I come across initially as quite scary people and they think I'm going to be a bit of a ball breaker and then uh, it turns out that I'm not but I've become better at that over the years that's something I've worked on because I I did used to be quite um, critical of people if they've made a mistake not in the sense that I was uh, you know felt any contempt towards them but simply if they've made it and it and it was the third or fourth time they'd made the mistake, I would show my frustration. Um, I now tend to try and work out why that's happened. And it's often nothing to do with work. So once they feel more relaxed about the the situation, they don't tend to make mistakes. So it's about making people feel comfortable um, in their own skins and with work and understanding, it's back to the understanding what their priorities are, and that sometimes, you know, personal life, whether you like it or not, does get in the way of the
0: day job. Yeah, I mean, I think in I, I'm I'm hearing all this, and I'm thinking uh, thinking about this. This is leadership, you know. It's a it, it's a really really lovely example that you you set to other leaders in the industry. Um, and I think I think it's entirely right. Is that a lot of a lot of the time when I was, I think back to when I started working with my performance coach and. We spent the probably we've spent probably the, the the bulk of the last six years working together, not talking about work problems, but talking about um, but but dealing with my own personal situations, my familial situation, you know the relationships that I have um, you know it, both at home and at work and by by being a better husband and father and being more understanding in those spheres it has made it's enabled me to be a better business leader as a consequence of that um and I think so so I for me that's something that really resonates and um and I identify with that as well but yeah I mean I think hats off to you that's that I think that is the right way to go um naturally you're always going to have people in in certain lines of work where people uh, you know staff will take the piss and they'll do you know and you can show them uh uh, you can show them as much understanding as you like, and then the the old expression "no good deed goes unpunished." But I think for the most, <laughs> I, th- I think for the most part, for ninety five percent of people, if you treat them respectfully, and and like you said, it's not always th- what's going on with them. It's not necessarily what's happening in the workplace. It's not the work necessarily that's leading to dips in performance. It's sometimes surrounding. It's it's the it's things that It's almost always. The work.
1: It's almost always not work actually, and yeah, sometimes. People pick jobs that are a bad fit for them. So in that case, it is just work. But most of the time when people are behaving in a really negative way or really pessimistic and gloomy it's because of something entirely outside work work is actually their safe haven and i encourage people to think of it that way this is the place you can get away from all of that and really enjoy what you're doing take pride in what you're doing and know that you're going to be acknowledged for the successes and the failures don't worry about them too much because you can't have success without failure um and i don't get Uh, I I don't, I'm not upset when people make mistakes, I don't massively like it when they make it four or five times, but I do try and understand why it's happened and try and create a a culture wherever I've been of accountability and uh, responsibility. So people, you know, they do own up if they, in fact, I've had people, this is the, (laughs) this is a weird outcome. I've had people owning up to things that they haven't done because they want to sort of, you know, share the response. I, I don't know. It's very odd anyway. But they, I have had one or two people in the past say, oh, no, that was my my bad, my bad, because they sort of are encouraged to hold their hand up. And it's somebody else, actually, who's sitting there very quietly, <laughs> not owning up.
0: Do you, anyway. do you end up you end you end up with an office uh, an office of people stood up with a hand in the ear going I'm Spartacus is that is, <laughs> is that is exactly that it's yeah.
1: exactly that yeah
0: well I think I think in a way you can take some perverse pleasure from the fact that you you've created a culture where people feel uh, sufficiently empowered and comfortable to 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 own up to mistakes and errors um you know and you don't have a blame or shame culture clearly that and, uh, and that sounds like a positive workplace to be. You talked about uh you talked about work being a safe space for people um uh, for, for your staff and also you also mentioned the you know people during the pandemic having to i suppose share kitchen tables limit very you know low bandwidth uh broadband Ooh. connections how how did you find obviously now being is slightly sort of different but when you know how did you find getting people back into the office with Property Week when you know when the world starts to open up uh, I suppose sort of second half of 2020 and then after the last lockdown in 21 um, how was the response of of, of people um, and I'm curious as, as as someone who reports on you know property companies particularly office investors and and occupiers. Um, from your own experience how did you find the return to work and people's enthusiasm to return to work
1: we we, we went back as a group not everybody but 50 percent before we were supposed to so they were so keen because some of them hadn't met each other personally they five people joined property week two or three within two or three weeks before the pandemic struck so they hadn't Five of them hadn't met each other. Um, one dr- joined during. So um, when we came to kind of returning to the office, there was some re- resistance, I guess. But what I um, encouraged people to do was to feel to only come back when they felt comfortable coming back. Um, some of them had health reasons for not returning and we worked hard to keep them um as part of the team and make sure that they felt included so we continued with lots of the remote um, you know the zoom meetings teams meetings etc to make sure they were involved i mean there was one person who had serious health issues and still hasn't returned to the office even now so um we made it work we made it work by um respecting people's own individual um journeys back to the office but we wanted it to be a really we we got them back quite a lot of people back earlier um because they really wanted to meet each other and they were young they didn't want to be stuck in their flat shares and we actually tried to get um a serviced office space and eventually the ceo said no no you can come back and use this space so we were the only people in um for a good while i'm talking about five or six people coming in Two two days a week, perhaps um, for a few months, and then obviously more people um, came back, and the end of the pandemic happened, and one or two people didn't, and it, we we sort of made it work. So, but they mm. I think they're back at about two days a week. We now the whole hybrid way of working is now normal, but I think you have to be in physical proximity to people to have truly creative. Um, discussions it's virtually impossible to do things 100 percent via teams and zoom so we're now we've got serviced office space as being used in old Street, and there are five of us and we try and we try we're in the office together at least one day a week most people are going in two or three days a week but they may be different days
0: okay yeah I think that Know, that, that that pretty much resonates. I think the 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 team at Avermore Capital are in four days a week, uh, generally speaking. But I you know, I think for, for a business like Avermore, it makes more sense for people to be in close proximity to each other on a more regular basis because there's just so much information being exchanged. You have particularly a you know when you have a very young team with managers who are older and more experienced. Um and departments that are working together very closely a lot of in, in you know a lot of internet interconnectivity um you know that you, you you know you'll know what it's like and i'm sure the listeners will understand It's that conversation that you overhear and you go, oh yeah okay well what about this or what about that and you know it it's 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 sometimes it's the conversations that you overhear that you it's the thing that you miss out on the most when you're when you're not uh when you're not operating together in person
1: the water cooler moment
0: isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely and um yeah i'm i'm sure also that there's there's gonna be a a big fall in the number of office romances in the in the pandemic era as well uh which i'm sure for a lot of people was a a, 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 an important way of meeting a partner uh which is is something that's going to get lost not not that I did, but uh certainly I know a lot of people who who did uh who did meet someone that way um you talked about we talk, i just want to talk about uh misconceptions for a second I know you mentioned that people think that you're uh you're you that can think you're quite can be a bit scary what um what are the other misconceptions that people might have around you uh you know assumptions that someone might make about you that actually doesn't turn out to be true um uh,
1: people think i'm a pessimist, I think, sometimes, and that I don't like other people. They did. I think that's changed a bit recently. I'm actually the most optimistic person I know. I obviously just don't look it, but I am really optimistic about things. Um, And I like people, or most most people anyway. Um, But I think it's because I tend to... I do look for complexity and I do look for problems. But I'm not trying to be negative, I just love problem solving. So I like to see you know, and understand what I'm doing in a, in a kind of complex way, if you like, and within context. And I'm looking for any you know, stress fact, fractures or issues. And I'm trying to work out all the time how to resolve those. And that's partly what's helped me and Simon as well to come up with this idea for BE News. We're looking for gaps in the markets. We're looking for problems and we're trying to solve them. Um, So once people get used to that, and that I will nitpick, I suppose, um, and they understand why, it's because I'm trying to make sure something's as good as it can be, they're usually fine with it. But I think, I'm sure initially it can be quite tiring and exhausting to be, you know, okay, we're going to do this, it sounds great, blah, blah, blah. But what about this bit of it? Is that going to work? And and finding flaws if you like but I'm finding flaws in order to eradicate them
0: it's, you're sort of pulling it you're pulling at the threads as, as it were before uh, exactly so that then, they're not a problem exactly
1: yeah. that and then another big misconception about me is that I'm posh and um I mean I don't, I don't think my accent sounds very posh but I think because I went to Cambridge people make an assumption and actually I was brought up in a, a council house and um And I was brought up in Kent, so I passed my 11 plus and went to a state grammar school, and that's how I went to Cambridge. But um, I'm not somebody who's come from from money at all. Um, And the other thing, and if you are, because some people think I'm posh, they think I'm really confident, but that confidence has all been learnt. I'm naturally quite a shy person and uh, was, you know, really lacking in confidence, actually. Um, when I was at school, um, I mean, I did double maths simply to guarantee myself an A in my main maths paper. And the other one was just a throwaway to make myself feel confident. Because if I sat down uh, and took an exam on a bad day, and I I was feeling nervous, I could actually go from normally hitting an A to actually failing, because I would be so struck with blind panic, I wouldn't know that zero was between minus um one and one it would be that sort of paralyzing so to overcome that fear I sort of threw myself into further mysteriously <laughs> and it did work
0: well there, there's there's you uh liking a challenge that's for sure I, yeah. it's interesting I I wonder if this is a common theme amongst entrepreneurs or a lot of entrepreneurs or or, pe- or business leaders in general because um you, you again the the being well spoken it's it is something that I think is learned I you know I had the benefit of of, of a good education but I didn't come from a family of of people that were plummy you know I have a a, a, a mum who's from Eastern Europe and a and my stepfather was from Liverpool or from the Merseyside area um so it's not like I was surrounded with people who who uh you know who spoke with you know the Queen's English and it like you say it's it's just a function of of where you where you uh you know where you uh, spend your time but i think the other thing is like you i'm i'm quite introverted as well and um yeah you wouldn't think so necessarily speaking to people on a on a public podcast that's uh, you know globally accessible but you know ultimately that's that's true and i think that uh, i i'm i'd be curious to know how many of the people that we had in you had in the room on your entrepreneurs uh debates in MIPIM th- that would experience a strong degree of uh, of of shyness and, and introversion and i would i would hazard a guess that it would be more than 50 percent of the of, of the people in that room um for sure i wanted to ask you a question uh, just as a follow-up question around the uh, around your nature as a po- problem solver oh. do you find did do you did you ever find that there were any Difficulties that arose from your natural inclination to be a po- problem solver and fix things, when also mentoring and mentoring and coaching the people that you work with. And, I, and I'm interested because it's I'm I'm currently exploring the potential to uh, trainers being a uh, performance coach as a sort of sideline gig because I don't have enough yeah. things uh, to do at the moment. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm curious to see is it was did that did 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 that quality uh, ever create problems as a as a mentor uh, or coach of the people that you're that, that are working for you?
1: I think it can do when people feel there's no need to try and identify problems and that something can be good enough without you know you having to they would have seen me as a perfectionist and that doesn't work for lots of people they don't want to be perfectionists. they think it's too much effort. And for what, for what reason? So it's convincing, but, but I don't mind if other people are not. I, I just m- want them to be, you know, to understand that that is the way I am. I can't change it. And equally, I'm fine with other people not being. So I wouldn't impose that problem-solving so- um ethos on somebody who doesn't want to solve problems, but wants yeah. to just. But uh, you know, I, I don't like people trying to create problems though. No. So um, there's there's that element, I suppose. So I think it's difficult. I don't. It's difficult to answer that question in a meaningful way. But um. Or,
0: or maybe yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know. Maybe if I give oh, some context, uh, uh, give some Go context on. around it. It's, uh, I I it, it. I was listening to the most recent Diary of CEO podcast. Uh, yeah. And uh, Simon Sinek was being was being interviewed and they were he he was talking about this concept of sitting in the mud with someone and 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 it boils down to being a good listener and I in my in my own experience and uh, I hopefully it's not it's not coming across too much uh, in my podcast recordings but um I have a I have a tendency when someone has has a problem or issue I think to to try and fix someone's problems when they're having difficulty rather than just listen and being a listening ear and allowing them to allowing them to sort of articulate what their issue is and then I guess come to the realisation themselves often my natural inclination uh like a lot of sort of type a personalities is right how do I fix this uh how do I fix this person's problem I mean is that something that you you identify with or you are you just naturally I suppose I see what you're
1: saying now yeah I mean um I don't try and solve other people's problems but I do try and help them solve their own yeah because I'd rather they solved it and took ownership of it. And they would find it, um, I think that's imposing yourself somewhat on somebody else If you, mm. it's, it's all very well understanding people, but articulating it all the time and what you think their problem is doesn't go down well. So it's encouraged that, encouraging them to articulate it and to solve it, and if, if they want to, and they don't always want to. Because mm. um, sometimes people quite, you know, like... Having a little issue that they about themselves that they pick at like a like a scab. So and and you can't do anything about it. That's that's part of their makeup. But um yeah, I try not to impose myself on other people or my problem solving interests on them because that's not how everybody's hardwired.
0: Do you think that's a journalistic trait though as well? Where you're I suppose either through through training or and or experience. is it natural for you just to stay silent that little bit extra just to allow the person the the person that you're talking to the person you're interviewing just to say that one bit extra one bit more so is that is that so does that management and mentoring style almost come from uh, from that sort of journalistic experience
1: and from teaching
0: and from teaching so you're encouraged only to speak a
1: certain percentage of the time when you're um, in, in a lesson and to um, have have the students speaking most of the time. And um, with journalism, yeah, there are two sort of little tricks. One is that when you're speaking to somebody and you ask them a question and they don't answer, don't immediately leap in with the next question. You wait for them and they'll tend to fill the vacuum. So that's one. And then there's the sneaking in a really difficult question and the the Colombo School of Journalism where you sort of lull them into a false sense of security and three quarters of the way through you do the and I have to ask you this or one more question
0: yeah <laughs> um, and
1: it's and it's the big one so um but you want people to share with you things that they don't share with anybody else and you to do that you have to be an active listener and you have to uh ask questions at the right time
0: um well i think uh i, I think i've learned something there so uh that that will be uh, <laughs> No uh, you uh, know wait for the people to <laughs> the way through the yeah so if, it, just because the interview is going really really well doesn't mean you're about you aren't about to get the really really nasty question um great so um I'd like to just understand about sort of things that have inspired you and given you motivation to succeed. I mean, are there any particular people in your life that have given you uh, inspiration? And you mentioned a teacher that that encouraged you to go to Cambridge, but was, was, were there any other people, I mean, you've you've interviewed some of the biggest industry, big hitters in, in, I suppose, property and other industries. Um, But, you know, have there, has there been anyone who you've met, you've met, or you, or even you haven't met that, that really inspiring um And were there any also any past events that you you know have given you inspiration and motivation to succeed?
1: Um, I mean, in terms of inspiring people, I, a lot of people in the industry I find inspiring um because of their passion for what they do. And you know, there's a people will tend to sort of think of them, especially senior people, the, the sort of legends, if you like, as being a bit old school and. Um, but they're they all incredibly passionate about what they do. And they're thinkers. They understand how the industry works. So all, I wouldn't, but I, I'm not going to name anybody in particular. But they've all been inspiring in their own ways, and that's part why I've come back into uh, uh, property journalism because I find them fascinating. I think they're cut from totally different cloth, and their work ethic is extraordinary. So it's a lot of this same sort of values as i have the hard work ethic and you know, needing to really love what you do um it's almost a vocation for them that that's that's inspiring i can't i mean actual events and individuals i'm not sure i can think of a particular event that's sparked you know that's i can point to that has changed the uh, you no, know, I, I can't really think of a particular event. Let me come back to that, actually.
0: Okay, okay, no problem. Um, fine. I, I think we've touched on some of the uh, some of these as well, in terms of uh, you know, you, you know, being focused, hardworking, being empathetic. But uh, are there any sort of key personal values, both uh, both for business and and life more generally, that that you value above all others?
1: I mean, it's it's a lot of journalists will say that, but honesty, integrity, actually, maybe not, maybe not a lot of journalists. Humility, I think that's important. Bravery. We mentioned that word earlier. Curiosity, another one you mentioned earlier. I mean, I I do like to do things. I like to challenge myself um, more than other people, really. and you know hard work is really important to me i i've got i'm not a workaholic but I, I really like throwing myself into what i do and doing it to the best of my ability so um you know conversely i so, i like other people who are like that i'm not so keen on people who are you know don't tell the truth um I have a sense of entitlement um people who are arrogant i struggle with quite badly and when I'm interviewing people for jobs sometimes I have to set aside my sort of instinctive reaction to people who are come across as arrogant because often it's just them being they're acting they're being they're trying to sound confident when in fact they're quite insecure so I've got to be a little bit careful that it is true truly um I'm not sort of um doing them a disservice and judging them before I've really found out what they're about. So um yeah the key key things honesty, integrity, bravery, curiosity, humility,
0: those yeah.
1: would be the key
0: things. Uh yeah, I I, I think uh, they're they're all, they're all excellent qualities and uh and certainly certainly ones I think most of our listeners would 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 like to aspire to having them of their own for sure. Um, okay in events, uh,
1: though, you asked about events. And yes. What's, so I wouldn't put it, it's not about a specific event, but every time something something bad happens or I'm, you know, not happy with a, a situation, I do try and flip it so that it becomes, there's something that I take away from it that's really positive. And then, you know, everybody has bad moments in their careers where, things don't go according to plan uh, or you encounter people that are not very supportive but I do try and take something away from that every time that's positive and make sure that when I'm sort of approaching things in the future that I don't fall into that trap of treating somebody else in the same way as I was treated for example Um, so I don't repeat other people's mistakes and i try really hard not to repeat my own does that uh, make sense
0: it makes sense i i i have a i have an expression it's not my own expression i i, I don't think i've ever had an original thought this but uh it's never let a good crisis go to waste uh um, that's it that's it
1: that's
0: exactly know. it yeah. i actually had a i've actually been listening to a, a the trigonometry podcast which and they interviewed uh, Piers Morgan, uh, also I suppose also a, fe- a fellow journalist and uh, f- former editor uh, of a of a news publication, and his his approach was every you know every time he got fired he he got a, he got a, a new job and a better job and
1: that's it exactly.
0: And it's not you know it's not dwelling on these disasters for too long because something different something better is around the corner so uh yeah i think that yeah you don't have to have an individual sort of seminal moment in your life that that changes everything i think that's it, some for some people that is true but in in many cases you'll have lots of small i suppose failures or, or challenges that you either overcome or you don't overcome but you learn from them and you take you you learn from them and you grow from them so uh for it's sure. the
1: fuel of success isn't
0: it yeah no absolutely i mean you what is it the everyone everyone tends to learn from their failures it's it's hard to learn and grow from from your successes it's you know it's uh survive you know the, the old survivorship bias it's not it's not necessarily the most uh growth oriented uh environment uh to take advantage of um just just winding down now i suppose uh as we kind of come to the end outside outside of work how do you like to how do you like to spend your time
1: um, it's nothing very, very exciting. I mean, I like going to gigs and festivals. I am um, I like reading a lot and I've always liked reading a lot. Um, I stopped reading for a few years, but I've got back into it. Unfortunately, I've got back into it in the most lowbrow way. So I just read really easy to read crap, frankly, sort of th- thrillers, um, spy novels, that sort of thing romance novels, it doesn't really matter, but it's I find it really relaxing and I can just tune out. Um it's not what I went to university to study. I don't tend to revisit those sort of slightly heavier books. Um but yeah that's that's mainly that's my main thing. And I I, mean, I love listening to music and really mysteriously I've gotten into country music, which I never saw coming. Well Simon and I went to Nashville and It was just, it was a brilliant place to go. And actually, there's lots of other types of music that um, are made in Nashville now, But and were always made, and was always made in Nashville, actually. But people like Margot Price and uh, Casey Musgraves and and those sorts of people, yeah, I like listening to them.
0: Well, my my stepfather, he he lived in America for four years and developed a, a, a passion for country and Western music, which um i wouldn't say rubbed off on me but there a lot of the sort of country singers from the 60s 50s, 60s and 70s uh, i certainly grew up listening to so uh i have a bit of a oh, spot. like johnny spot.
1: cash and stuff
0: yeah or marty robbins and uh, patsy cline okay. and people like that yeah so uh you know you yeah, uh, and 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 i suppose and, and a little bit beyond as well so uh yeah i i um how do I put it? Maybe I I I can commiserate with with the with with the with the newfound affliction that you have uh, been smited with in in terms of country music. Um, Good to hear. Well, so in terms of in terms of books, uh, I did I did threaten to go on to this subject. Um, whilst uh, whilst we all enjoy uh, we we can all enjoy some uh, nice easy reads. I I've I've recently been. Uh, listening to atlas shrugged by ayn rand on an audiobook so all 48 hours of Excellent. of content there uh very very heavy very weighty uh i i have 14 hours left so uh, oh my god uh, so yeah hopefully in a, hopefully in 2 or 3 weeks time i will be done uh and uh yeah th- we'll get we'll get to the get to the end of that um it, I have to say that's that has been quite a profound and impactful book on me as I've experienced it. But what?
1: Well, what um, what's what's been so impactful for you?
0: Well, it's been quite interesting to hear how. Uh, it, now, and I I've, I've only recently learned a little bit about the backstory behind Ayn Rand, uh, because she uh, she had to leave. She left uh, Russia during the start of the Soviet times, and will have experienced. Um, you know, the the birth of communism, as it were, and she saw how how uh, the system there became, I suppose, rotten as a consequence of it. Um, and then to see, and then reading about how, in a fictional world, how it, if that were to be applied to the USA, where she moved to, and how, and, and she sort of painted a picture as to how that might play out. And then I'm just getting to the point of the counter. I suppose the the, the start of the sort of counter revolution against that, and how the, um, I suppose how 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 the the productive thinkers um, countered that approach, which is essentially to withdraw withdraw their their ideas, withdraw their their capital, withdraw their inventions. Um, and to to look at how that might rebuild a society it's it's been very it's been very interesting it's very heavy it's very heavy going um but also quite compelling as well so if i'm in the right mood for it i can sit and go through an hour and a half's worth of of the audiobook on the flip side some days it's 10 minutes is enough because i i i need something a little bit more um you know I, I think i need something a, a little bit more fast food from a from a reading perspective um but in terms of your in terms of books that have had a profound impact on you what you know what would you say the the handful of books that you know you really you know that you would recommend or to to others above, above all any, uh, above any other
1: it's not really i wouldn't say it's individual books it's more authors okay but bear in mind i spent three years at university reading books essentially and I would read five or six in a week and they're big books as well yeah. so um to pick a few that sort of stand out at just books would be tricky I mean in terms of authors I've always loved uh Joseph Conrad, Henry James and they've, they've got this outsider's perspective which is interesting there's a bit of a common sort of yeah read there. um so I guess, you know, The Heart of Darkness from, from Conrad is just it's just a great mm. book.
0: And it's not very long
1: either. Um, Henry James' Portrait of a Lady, if I had to pick one. Um, I like Mikhail Bulgakov, Ma- Master and Margarita. It's a really great, great book. Um, but it's not, I mean, they don't help me in a business sense or anything like that. I just find them just great stories, I suppose. Um, Donna Tart The Secret History. Was you know very was a memorable moment um, reading that. It was just such a great great story. And then in terms of things that are more, I mean, self help as such, but um, I really like the um, journalist Malcolm Gladwell. So oh
0: yeah, I like and they're too, really yeah.
1: accessible. So The Tipping Point, Outliers, uh, Blink. Um talking to strangers things like that um he's he does it, it's it's not it's it's very accessible actually very easy to understand some genuinely useful insights um that have helped me understand how to interact with people better and um you know some of the dangers of judging people. Um, prematurely, so and one of one of the things that he wrote about was um a guy that used to be able to he took videos of people and he could tell within about thirty seconds, I think whether the relationship between those two people was going to endure and it was all on the basis of looking for one emotion on on, on somebody's face and it was the any look of contempt and it's yeah. so true and if you and it made me think if i look like that to somebody i'm going to spend a long time trying to undo that damage and i may never do it so i try mm. not to ever show any contempt and i try not to feel it
0: yeah i i've i've heard about this uh this this chap who does who who can uh who can who does his videos and he can identify yeah the, the contempt thing it's uh yeah fascinating stuff the, Gladwell's uh, Talking to Strangers. I listened to probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, very interesting book. Um, particularly uh, particularly relevant actually for uh, as a company in Avermore that uh, specialises in lending money and making decisions. Ultimately, a, a, about uh, you, you have to make a judgment as to whether this is a, a good a good quality credit borrower or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and you always have people on on the margins. And you know certainly the. Certainly, in in terms of where I think the example that Gladwell used was was uh, I think the court system in New York has to decide who was eligible for bail and who wasn't eligible for bail in those such situations, and oh. um, and that ultimately the you know there's the the risk of human error was 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 greater than if that was just determined on uh, I suppose a sort of AI or you know or, or sort of spreadsheet based you know yes no right point scoring system right if you have this many points you can you know you you, you get bail if if not you don't oh. Where, whereas you know if you rely pure, purely on the face of the fact of does a you know judge looks you in the eye and and, and makes that decision and I, and i suppose you talk about being a good judge of character and particularly if you're interview i imagine if you're interviewing someone uh, journalistically um you have to you'll have to form an opinion about someone uh on the back of that interaction with them in some ways because you'll need to set a narrative for the for the story that you're going to write and if someone leaves you with the someone has left you with a perception that's not right you end up you'll end up writing a an article about them that is that isn't necessarily reflective of the person that they are um or isn't necessarily reflective of the facts. So I'm I, I'm interested that I thought it was interesting that you raised that and Gladwell because it's you know he he certainly makes us think, particularly in talking to strangers, where um in, in our in both of our lines of work, uh, we have to make judgment calls about about individuals that we're that we're faced with. And sometimes we sometimes we are going to get that wrong. Um yeah. so I thought that I thought that was very interesting. Um last question, uh cool. really last question, but it's um and this is this is an opportunity for you to um talk to our talk to our listeners and just perhaps give uh, for, for, you know in, in over the course of 90 seconds a bit of uh, a bit of advice or a bit of inspiration as to uh you know the from the wisdoms of, of your experience in in your career you know what would you what would you like to share with our listeners uh, in 90 seconds or less that might be interesting for for them uh, in their business journeys as they are and as they as they look to progress them
1: well when you're making those judgment calls and you're talking to people who are maybe challenging or just not not being they might be being rude to you obnoxious to you um i try and be super friendly back until i know what I'm dealing with. So my I will try and smile at them, and I mean a proper genuine smile and encourage them to sort of be relaxed with me. And I think it's important that people do that and don't judge a book by it. It's almost impossible not to judge a book by its cover, but try not to and try and allow um, and, and give yourself some time to understand what you're dealing with before you make a judgment on someone. Um, because to the points we were talking about earlier if they are behaving in a really obnoxious way there's usually a reason for it that is totally unrelated to work and um once you've understood that then it's no longer a problem and they'll tend to be quite nice if they are real dicks <laughs> um and you are really friendly with them it wrong foot's people so they even if they suspect you're sort of smiling at them for the wrong reasons, you can't do anything about it. Um, and it's, I guess that's the old adage of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. But on the other hand, sometimes people will ditch the bad behaviour once they know um, you're not out to get them and you're going to get more out of them. And you'll have a mutually respectful and hopefully productive relationship with people that you might not have thought you would have
0: well that that's something that actually i i i can uh, associate with and resonates with me i had a, a for a very brief period of time i did some work with a, a a chap who was an entrepreneur in the youth hostel space and he had an expression and i was well we're going back 10 years now and i was you know a bit hot headed and certainly a bit naive and he would say to me, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And I think yeah. it's, it's, it's the same principle. And so, yeah, I think that that is a, a really great bit of advice and uh, wanted to thank you for sharing that. Um, Liz, that is pretty much all we've got time for today. Uh, it's been really enjoyable chatting to you. And I hope our listeners have appreciated and got the value out of this conversation that I have. And uh, yes, we we look forward to having you on again soon. So thank you for your time.
1: Thanks very much, Michael.
0: All right, brilliant. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avermore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avermorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.